Please be seated. And please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 15. Tonight we'll be looking at verses 30 through 33, a passage that speaks about prayer. How is prayer for you? The prayer is something that most Christians struggle with and want to grow in. It's also something that many Christians have been faithfully devoted to and have seen much fruit from. It's also something that the Bible teaches is to be an essential part of our lives as Christians. In our passage tonight in Romans, uh, we will see how Paul appealed to the church in Rome to pray for him. And there is certainly application that we need to make from this passage to our praying. And we should seek to practice this tonight in our time of prayer that will follow this study. I'm going to read to us from Romans 15, verses 30 through the end of the chapter. Uh, Please stand in honor of the word of God. Verse 30. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ, and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. This is God's holy word. Uh, Please be seated. In the first verse, verse 30, we have an appeal to pray. An appeal to pray. Look closely at verse 30. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ, and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. Now notice, first of all, that this is Trinitarian. All three persons of the Trinity are mentioned. And you will see that often in the New Testament, as the New Testament uh, clearly reveals the triune nature of God, eternal, existing eternally in three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Notice that here in verse 30, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ, so there's God the Son, by the love of the Spirit, there's God the Holy Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God, there's God the Father, on my behalf. Oh, I want you to notice also in verse 30, the authority behind the appeal. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ. It is Christ's will uh, that the church would pray in this way. Now, Jesus spent much time teaching his disciples to pray. Can you think of any examples from the Gospels uh, where Jesus, in some way, was teaching his disciples uh, to pray? Alex? Really, I mean, more than his disciples. Matthew 6, the Sermon on the Mount. Mm-hmm. And what do we find about prayer in the Sermon on the Mount? He teaches us specifically how to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. He gives us specific instruction and a specific word-for-word example of how to pray to God the Father. So he gives us that model for prayer to show us the sorts of things that we ought to, to be praying about. How else did Jesus teach his disciples about prayer? Oh, yes. Uh, 
So he contrasted how we ought to pray with what was seen uh, by the teachers of that day as, as they very hypocritically would put on a show with their outward prayers while their hearts didn't love God. So it's not essentially to be outward. It's not a show. It's not for man. It's for God. What else? Well, he encouraged his disciples to pray in the garden. How so? He told them, we hear only praying because that's time. And we need to pray in the garden of Gethsemane, Esther? I was going to add that he encouraged them to even pray while they're tired, but tired, but keep praying. Say, keep yourself awake. This is an important time to persevere in prayer. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Pray. Dorian. Uh, he encouraged them to pray to the Lord of the harvest, even if you send workers into the harvest. And even not just what to pray, but also he showed them in his own drawing away from the crowds yeah. and going and being alone with, with the Father. He set an example of personal prayer, a time in prayer with the Father, alone with him. Habit of prayer. Kill it. That's the thing that I'm hearing on the way to Yes. Uh, in John 17, Jesus prays in the hearing of his disciples. Um, he's praying uh, various things, including he's praying for his disciples and those who will believe in him through their testimony, through their word. Uh, I want us to turn to John chapter 14 to see before Je- just short, just before Jesus uh, gave that high priestly prayer in the hearing of his disciples. I want you to see some instruction that Jesus gave related to prayer. In John 14 through 17, we have these words that Jesus spoke to his disciples and in their hearing um, just shortly before he's going to be arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane and uh, taken away from them. In John 14, look at verse 13. Verse 13, whatever you ask in my name, This I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. He's preparing his disciples for the time when Jesus will no longer be with them. And he's giving them instructions on prayer. He's encouraging them to pray. He's promising answers to prayer. Go down to chapter 15. Chapter 15, verse 7. Verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Chapter 16, chapter 16, verse 23, verse 23. In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. He's teaching them to, to pray in his name. And again, assuring them of answered prayer when they pray in Jesus' name, which would include praying according to the will of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. Alright, so, and then if you go down to verse 26. 26. In that day you will ask in my name. And I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. Good number of references to prayer. In this teaching, the last teaching he gave to his disciples before he departed from them. And, and we've skipped over a lot in the Gospels. 
Jesus told various parables uh, to teach his disciples about prayer. Um, there's, there's much. Now, coming back to our text here, Romans chapter 15, verse 30, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ. The authority behind this appeal to pray is the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit. With those words, by the love of the Spirit, we have the grounds of the appeal that Paul makes. He's appealing to us by the authority of Christ on the grounds of the love of the Spirit. What is the love of the Spirit? I I believe it's the love that the Spirit produces in us for one another. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, says the fruit of the Spirit is, and there's a list of about eight or nine uh, virtues of Christ, but the fruit of the Spirit is, first of all, love. The Spirit of God produces within the believer love. Uh, here it would be, especially, what would be especially in mind would be love for the brethren. And the ground here of this appeal is the love that comes from the Holy Spirit for the brethren, which would include their love for the Apostle Paul. Christian love for the Apostle Paul, who's making this appeal, asking for their prayers. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ, and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. So here's the content of the appeal. He's appealing that they would strive together with Paul in their prayers to God on Paul's behalf. Now, note the words to strive. In Greek, the verb to strive was used of military battle and wrestling contests. It literally means to fight or to, to wrestle. So he's appealing uh, that, that you would strive together, that you would fight together with me, that you would wrestle together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. Our English word agonize comes from this Greek word. So we could even think of in, in those terms that he's appealing that the, the believers would agonize together with him in their prayers to God on his behalf. Uh, this word is used similarly in Colossians chapter 4, verse 12, which I put in your notes, where Paul says to the church in Colossae, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. It's the same Greek word, struggling on your behalf in his prayers. That you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. So that would be another way to translate it. That Paul is appealing to the believers in Rome that they would struggle together with Paul in their prayers to God on his behalf. Now the question for us, what does this word to strive together with, what does this word communicate about the praying that Paul has in mind? Strive together in prayer. Think of that word strive, what I've said about it. What does this word strive communicate about the praying that Paul has in mind? Enoch. Alright, pray hard. Yes, that's certainly included. When you fight a battle, 
or you wrestle, you're doing something hard. Alright. Mom? Not just occasionally or you know, whenever it comes around. Yeah. Be focused on trying to talk. Right. It's not just every once in a while, not just when you feel like it. Kill. Being persistent. Persistent. Right. Anything else? Yeah. I think it carries the idea too that there's something working against you right. as you're praying. There's a battle going on, and yes. that fits in with Ephesians 6, mm-hmm. that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and so on, and take on the armor of God, and at the end of that list, he does talk about praying. Yes. So there's something that resists this kind of praying. This, this kind of praying is part of spiritual warfare. And if you think about the instructions in spiritual warfare in Ephesians 6, uh, as he speaks about the armor of God, uh, he concludes that with giving instruction in prayer. Prayer is part of spiritual warfare. We are to strive together in it. Anything else? Significance of this word as far as the kind of prayer that we, that Paul is speaking of here. Titus, you raising your hand? Yeah. We're praying without ceasing. Are praying without ceasing? It's not easy to pray without ceasing. So this prayer that Paul is speaking about is something that is hard work. It's not easy. It's something that requires perseverance. It's something that is done wholeheartedly. You, know, you don't fight a battle whole, you know, half-heartedly. You don't wrestle in a wrestling match half-heartedly. You, you put your whole self into it. This is whole-hearted prayer. Now, Paul, in asking the church to strive together with him in their prayers on his behalf, that he is not asking them to do something for him that he's not already doing for them. I'm going to read to you from Romans chapter 1, verses 9 through 10, where where Paul spoke of how he has been persevering in prayer for those to whom he is writing. Romans 1, 9. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. He says, without ceasing. I mention you always in my prayers. And he mentions one thing that he prays, but that's certainly not all that he prays. He prays for them. He prays for their spiritual well-being. And he's asking them now to pray for him, to strive together with him in prayer on his behalf. It is certainly Christ's will that we would intercede for other believers. We have a model of it here. Paul's asking for that. It's Christ's will that we would intercede for other believers. It's important for us to pray for our, our, ourselves. We, we see that in the Lord's Prayer. Uh, we would be foolish if we didn't pray for ourselves, because we can't do anything apart from Christ. But we shouldn't only pray for ourselves. We are taught in Scripture to intercede for others in prayer. And, and certainly it's Christ's will that we would intercede for missionaries. And Paul's been speaking about his missionary work. And he wants to go to, to Spain, a place where Christ has not been named with the gospel. 
We've been talking about missions. It certainly is Christ's will that we would intercede for missionaries. Uh, this striving together with other believers uh, in prayer is part of Christian fellowship. Now, we, we don't have, have to be face-to-face together in order to have fellowship. There's some fellowship that must be face-to-face. But this is fellowship when we strive together with others in prayer on their behalf. And Paul was doing that with the Roman church, even though they were many miles apart. We're sharing in this together. We can certainly strive together in prayer with our church's evangelism teams. You know, we, we, we trust that when a, a group from our church goes out, whether it was to Rutgers University some time ago, or they go into our, our neighborhood, going door to door, or they go to, to be outside the abortion clinic. We have, we have an evangelism team that goes out. We trust that they are praying uh, for that evangelism, for the Lord to work in hearts, for the Lord to, to bring forth good fruit from that. And we, as the rest of the congregation, we should strive together with our brothers and sisters who are going out in prayer on their behalf in that ministry. Certainly we can strive together in prayer with our missionaries. We we trust they are praying regarding the ministries that the Lord has called them to, and they give us prayer requests. We can strive together with them in prayer for those ministries. We can certainly strive together in prayer uh, with other churches. Uh, we, we just, a few weeks ago, met Pastor Stephen David from India. He shared about their church, and uh, as he was leaving, he and I spoke about staying in communication with one another and sharing how our churches can be praying for one another. I intend next, next Wednesday to share with you some prayer requests uh, from that church in India. We as a church can strive together with other churches in prayer for the ministries of those churches. And we can strive together in prayer with one another. All of us as believers have a responsibility to be praying. And we can strive together with one another in prayer. So that's the the first part of our text, is an, an appeal to prayer. The second part, verses 31 and 32, are the apostles' prayer requests. So so, so now we get to the specifics of, of what he's appealing to these believers asking for prayer regarding. Notice it in verse 31. That I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. Paul requests prayer that he will be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea. We know from the previous verses that that Paul's plan is to go to Judea. Look back to verse 25 and what's the main city in Judea? Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Right. Verse 25. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it. And indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. 
When therefore I have completed this, and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. So Paul's plan is to go to Jerusalem, bringing a, a, a monetary offering that has been collected uh, from the Gentile churches that Paul has planted. Paul is bringing this gift, this financial gift, to the believers, the Jewish believers, in Jerusalem and the surrounding area in Judea. And now Paul's prayer request in verse 31 is that he would be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea. Jerusalem was the center of Judaism. And from the time that Paul began proclaiming Jesus in synagogues, you can see that in Acts chapter 9 verse 20, he was marked for death by Jewish leaders. And he was continually, uh, he would continually move from one place to the, to the next, and wherever he would go with the gospel, there would be Jewish opponents who would come to hinder him. And what they really wanted was his death. And several times they attempted to take his life. Now, Paul is headed to the center of Judaism, Jerusalem. He didn't spend much time there after he was converted. But now it's important that he go there with this offering. And he knows of the opposition that exists toward him among the unbelieving Jews there. It's the center of the opposition against him. And so he prays that he would be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea. Paul knew there were fanatical Jews in Jerusalem who would try to oppose him, as ended up happening. Turn over to Acts chapter 21. In Acts 21, we see what happens when Paul gets to Jerusalem after he has given the offering uh, to the church in Jerusalem. Um, he goes into the temple. Uh, he's seeking to show that he's not against the law of Moses. As some are claiming that he is. But in Acts 21 verse 27, we read, When the seven days were almost completed, that was regarding a Jewish vow that Paul had made, the Jews from Asia seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law in this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. These were false accusations. They were twisting the teaching of, of Paul, and then even they had made a wrong assumption about who he brought into the temple. These are false accusations. Verse 29, for they had previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian with him in the city, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Then all the city was stirred up, and the people ran together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple, and at once the gates were shut. And as they were seeking to kill him, word came to the tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. He at once took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when he saw the, when he saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the tribune came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. He inquired who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd were shouting one thing, some another, and as he could not learn the facts about the uproar, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks. When he came to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd, for the mob of the people followed, crying out, Away with him. 
So Jewish opponents of the Apostle Paul were unbelievers. They stir up a mob against him. And this mob wants to kill Paul on the spot. But the Roman government protects Paul. They rescue Paul. Now go on to chapter 23, verse 12. Chapter, three, ver- chapter 23, verse 12. The Roman government is trying to figure out what this is all about. Uh, Paul appears before the Jewish council. And in verse 12, we read, When it was day, the Jews made a plot and bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. There were more than 40 who made this conspiracy. Well, they did not succeed. God protected the Apostle Paul from this this, this plot. But this was what was coming at Paul in Jerusalem. And so, you know, you can understand, if you come back to our text in Romans 15, verse 31, you can understand, as Paul anticipates something like this, you can understand why he's praying, asking for prayer that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea. That term, the unbelievers, that's not from the normal Greek word um, that would be used for unbelievers. It's translated in the New American Standard as those who are disobedient. The word has the basic idea of being obstinate and unpersuadable. Paul asked for prayer that he be delivered from those who are obstinate in their rejection of the gospel and are seeking to harm the Apostle Paul and stop him from proclaiming Jesus as the Messiah. Now, Paul's purpose in this request, that he would be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, the purpose in this request is revealed in the words that he spoke to the Ephesian elders before he got to Jerusalem. I put in your notes Acts 20, verses 22 through 24, where Paul said, And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So fit this together with this prayer request that we're studying. In light of this, what would you say was the reason why Paul was asking the church to pray that he would be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea? Is it that he just doesn't want to die? What, what what what's his motive here? Titus? Exactly. So he can accomplish God's purpose. He says in those verses that I just read, I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. He doesn't mind giving up his life for Christ's sake whenever the time comes. If it's in Jerusalem, if it's later on, if it's before Jerusalem, he doesn't mind. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. That's why 
he asked prayer that he would be delivered from unbelievers in Judea. As far as he understands, God's will is that he would do further ministry after going to Jerusalem. He has his eyes on Spain. His understanding is that's where the Lord would have him to go. And so he's asking for prayer for deliverance in Jerusalem so that he may continue and fulfill the ministry that Christ has for us. And his prayer requests go on. If we come back to our text in verse 31, he also requests prayer that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. When he's talking about his service for Jerusalem, he's referring to the aid that he plans to bring that we've already seen him speak of in the previous context. The prayer request is that his service for Jerusalem, that, that offering that he's going to bring to them from the Gentile believers, that that service would be acceptable to the saints in Jerusalem. It was possible that unbelieving Jews in Jerusalem would put pressure on believing Jews not to accept the gift. We read in Acts 21, verses 20 and 21, of what the church in Jerusalem said to Paul soon after he arrives in Jerusalem. He taught, they talk about unbelieving Jews who are spreading things amongst the believing Jews as they're trying to turn them against the Apostle Paul. They're trying to undermine Paul's teaching among believing Jews. So it's very possible that unbelieving Jews would put pressure on believing Jews not to accept this gift that's coming from Gentiles. They understand that, that Paul is seeking to show the unity of Jew and Gentile in the body of Christ. And there would be some that would try to undermine that. Paul requests prayer that the Jerusalem saints would not be offended by the gift from the Gentile brethren, but that they would receive it with loving gratitude for what it was, a gesture of brotherly love. Only then could the gift show the fellowship created by the gospel between Jews and Gentiles in the body of Christ if it was accepted by the Jewish brothers in Jerusalem. If they rejected it, then what does that say about the fellowship between Jews and Gentiles in the body of Christ? Paul's concern is that they will accept it. He has prayer for this, that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. And he goes on, the next request, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. If he's not delivered from the unbelieving Jews, he can't go to Rome to visit the brethren there. He wants to be able to go to the brethren in Rome with joy. After seeing the Jewish brothers receive as an act of brotherly love that gift from the Gentile brothers. So that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. Pray for this. I appeal to you by the Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit. Strive with me in prayer for these things that I would, by God's will, come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. Notice the words, by God's will, so that by God's will I may come to you. All our plans and hopes are subject to God's will. In Matthew 6.10, we are taught to, to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
In 1 John 5.14, we're taught, and this is the confidence that we have toward Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. Jesus set us an example in Luke 22.42 in the Garden of Gethsemane, when He prayed, Father, if You are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but Yours be done. Prayer does not try to change God's will. Paul had always sought to pray according to the will of God. In Romans 1.10, he said, Always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will, I may now at least succeed in coming to you. And now he asked them to pray, so that by God's will, I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. It's always subject to God's will. Now, look at these three requests. These three prayer requests. Did God answer this prayer? The first request was that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea. The second request that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. Third request that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. Did God answer this prayer? Mom's up. You're nodding your head. Yes. Can you explain? Well, we start the last one. We've got Rome, but he's under arrest. So, and then, um, so believing the Jews, or, yeah, believing the Jews, they um, succeeded in killing him because he went to Rome. And then the first one, um, with the, the gift oh, yeah, being accepted. Yes, um, I assume they accepted that. Anyone want, want to add anything to that? I agree that the prayer was answered. I'm sure not in the way that Paul envisioned it would be answered, but it was answered. He was delivered from the unbelieving Jews in Jerusalem. The Lord used the Romans to deliver him. They arrested him for his safety. Now, he didn't anticipate being under arrest for two years in the land of Israel before even getting to Rome. But that was God's plan. But he was delivered from the unbelieving Jews in Jerusalem. The Lord Jesus appeared to him uh, soon after he had been arrested there. In Acts 23, 11, it says, The following night the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. Showing Paul, he was with Paul, while Paul was there, in Jerusalem, under arrest. God's plan was being fulfilled. God's will was being carried out. God had a plan for him, a purpose for him that would occur. Take courage. As you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. You will be going to Rome. I will send you there. Take courage. Paul's service. Um, in Jerusalem appears to have been accepted by the Jerusalem saints. You can read in Acts 21, verses 17 through 19, how, how he was welcomed uh, by the, the Jewish church in Jerusalem. The implication would be that they accepted that gift. And Paul did come to Rome, and he did enjoy fellowship with the believers, probably not in the way he anticipated. He came in, in chains. But turn over to Acts chapter 28, 
to, to see the record of Paul's arrival in Rome. Acts 28, beginning at verse 14. Acts 28, 14. Luke writes, There we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days, and so we came to Rome. Luke is with Paul together. They came to Rome. Verse 15. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, excuse me, when they heard about us, came as far as the form of Appius and three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier that guarded him. He was allowed to receive visitors. Those visitors certainly would have included the brethren to whom Paul wrote this letter. They knew he was coming. They went out. They greeted him as he was arriving at the cities. He came to Rome. He had fellowship with the church. Which he writes something of at the beginning of the book of Philippians. Now, I have a question. Why are we to bring requests to God in prayer? The Apostle Paul appeals by the authority of Christ on the basis of the love of the Spirit uh, that this church would strive together with him in prayer on his behalf. Why are we to bring requests to God in prayer? Kill him. Bring a desire or need before the Lord in prayer. We are surrendering that to the Lord. It's how we surrender these things to the Lord in prayer. Um, I do think one, our concern for one another causes us to pray. Yeah. Because then it connects us with one another. But also, with the Father, is like a loving Father. He wants to hear what's, what's on our hearts and minds. Mm-hmm. And so we present them to Him. He delights in hearing us. Yes. Absolutely. And then, then we not get anxious either. Yeah. Because we give it to him and let him take care of us. Yes. So instead of being anxious, we're to take what we would be anxious about to the Lord in prayer. And our Heavenly Father loves to hear us pray too as his adopted children. Why else are we to bring requests to God in prayer? Don't. It demonstrates our knowledge that we're unable to cause things to happen and that we're dependent upon God. Um, it shows that, that we believe that He is the one who can do those things which are impossible. Yeah. How we humble ourselves before the Lord, how we depend upon Him, how, how we show that we need Him. And, and, and how we acknowledge His power and His grace, His sufficiency, His faithfulness. 
Prosmiatva. We can add to that that we are to bring requests to God in prayer because Scripture instructs us to do so. Uh, we are to bring requests to God in prayer because God answers prayer. He truly does answer prayer. He promises His children answered prayer, prayer that is according to His will. We're to pray because God answers prayer. Um, this, we are to pray because this is a means through which God involves us in His work. He has ordained that, that we will be involved in His work. He involves us in His work through prayer. And then lastly, bringing requests to God in prayer glorifies Him. When done with the, the heart attitude that Scripture instructs, it glorifies God. So those are the requests that the Apostle Paul gives. The section ends with a benediction. Look at in our back in our text. At verse 33, verse 33, May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. This is a, a blessing. The word benediction means blessing. Uh, a, a benediction or a blessing is a prayer that God would bless others. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. He speaks in his benediction of God as the God of peace. In other words, the God who gives peace. The peace that God gives includes peace with God. When God justified you by grace uh, through faith in Christ, God gave you peace with him. He established peace between you and him. You were under his condemnation before. You were under his, his wrath. But when God saved you, he gave you peace with him. Speaks of the right relationship that God has given you by His grace with Him on the basis of what Jesus has done for us. Uh, God is the God of peace. Uh, He gives not only peace with God, but He also gives His people peace of mind. Philippians chapter 4. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When you have peace with God, you can have peace of mind. As you cast your cares on your Heavenly Father, knowing that He cares for you. And then the peace that God gives also includes peace with others. Including between Jewish believers and Gentile believers. Which has been something that has been on Paul's mind. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. We read, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, 
and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So the reconciling work of Jesus Christ at the cross gives the believer peace with God and also establishes peace between you, a member of Christ's body, and all the other members of Christ's body. Jew and Gentile, which which had a a wall of hostility between them, are, are made one in Christ. The hostility is done away with by the cross. And peace is established between the believing Jew and the believing Gentile, brought into one body. So, when we have peace with God, that then is reflected by a peace, a horizontal peace, with one another in the body of Christ. This is all because of the gospel. All because of Christ. Now, th- think of who is giving this blessing. Uh, this, this, this benediction that we have in our text. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. This is the Apostle Paul. John MacArthur writes, On the human level, Paul's life as an apostle was far from peaceful. As far as outward particulars were concerned, he lived in uncertainty and often turmoil. He was under almost continual threat against his physical safety in life. But he knew intimately the God of peace. And he lived himself in the peace and settled tranquility that God gives to those who faithfully abide in his will. Paul knew this peace uh, that he was speaking of. What a wonderful benediction this is. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Now Paul's not quite done with the letter. Um, he's concluding it. Uh, but he's still going to give some personal greetings. And we'll get to those next time. But for tonight, let us apply this passage to our prayers this very evening. Striving together in prayer. Keep that word in mind that Paul used here. When we pray together. Let us strive together in prayer. Let us labor in prayer together. Let us pray, seek to pray according to God's will. Paul mentioned God's will in those requests. Let us seek to pray according to God's will. And may we pray that brethren would know and experience God's peace as Paul prays in this closing benediction. Any questions or comments on anything that we have seen tonight? Dorian? That last quote by MacArthur reminds me also that even Paul's trip to Rome wasn't peaceful. (laughs) He suffered shipwreck. And so even his request that he would be refreshed by their company, I'm sure he was refreshed after the journey. Not only was he under arrest, but even in the midst of that storm, you saw him having the peace of God because he knew God had purpose and a plan for him to reach that place. The other sailors thought they were goners. And Paul had an absolute rock-solid confidence in the Lord. He was going to bring them through. He had that peace of mind. Um, Thinking about May, she said peace uncertainty of what we've 
zeroing in on, on me. Yeah. Great example. Anyone else? Russ? What would you say <clears throat> is the main context of striving and, and, uh, in prayer? Is it more of like I'd say, I'd say this striving is spirit-led effort. Putting out spirit-led effort in prayer. So, it certainly has the idea of, of effort. You know, fighting in, probably the most literal rendering of the word would be, fight with me in, in, in prayer. Um, but certainly when you connect it with other passages, it's not just... Any kind of fighting, you know, we're seeking to be led in our prayer by, by the Spirit. We're seeking to pray according to the will of God. We're seeking to pray how you know, Christ would have us to, to pray. So it's a Spirit-led effort in, in, in prayer. Yeah, I know you just saw it sometimes just like the conversation when I was thinking about fighting, but then Right, right. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you know, we we could think of you know, at times you know, wrestling with God in prayer, like you know, Jake, Jacob wrestled with the angel of the Lord. But I don't think that's so much in mind here of wrestling, you know, against God in yeah. in prayer. But it, it's more of you know, prayer is not easy. You know, our flesh doesn't want to pray. Yeah. Um. And, you know, the world is, is, you know, calling us in every other direction except in the direction of prayer. Yes. Um, you know, or just, um, or even when there was a woman that, uh, wanted her, her daughter to be Yeah. Some would like repeating her, in a sense. Yeah. But then she doesn't just Yes. Yes. Yeah, so there's a lot that's taught about prayer. Those are, are you know, about persistence in prayer. Uh, here, striving would be a little bit of a different nuance, yeah. and, and we put it all all together. Yeah. Alex, uh, I don't want to phrase this as a tips or tricks type of question, but when it comes to you know fighting the flesh and striving to actually pray, you know, I mean, we've all struggled with that, obviously. Yeah. But um, 
What have you done in your personal walk, either being a new believer, being no longer in faith, what have you? What are some tips or tricks, per se, in striving in that and fighting the flesh to persevere in prayer? Well, well one thing that I have, I have done at certain times um, that has really helped for being focused in prayer, rather than, you know, it's so easy for our mind to start to think about all kinds of things and we're no longer praying. Right, right. To stay focused in prayer, I have found it to be very helpful to write, as, as I'm praying, to write what I'm praying. So I'm basically writing a prayer out to God, coming from, from, from my heart, but actually writing out what I'm praying, that helps me to stay focused in, in prayer. But something else would be renewing our mind with the importance of prayer, the value of prayer. Because oftentimes when we are having a hard time praying or getting ourselves to pray, in those moments we're not embracing the truths in Scripture about the value of prayer, the importance. In the moment we're not seeing it as valuable and as important as it really is. We have to have a change of heart, change of mind about the value and the importance of prayer. But it, it... all Christians will tell you, you know, it, it, it's something that we we have a hard time with, and we, we want we want to grow in. All right, well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the access that you give us uh, to you through the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that uh, after He gave up His life uh, upon the cross after he died for our sins, uh, or just just before he died, that he said those words, um, it is finished. And Lord, we thank you that then, um, after he died, uh, you you tore that curtain, temple curtain in two from top to bottom, signifying the access that we have to you through the Lord Jesus Christ, being that he has died on the cross for our sins. Uh, Lord, we thank you Uh, that you give us the privilege of prayer. We thank you for your promises of answered prayer. And we pray, Father, that you would enable us uh, to strive in prayer and to strive together with other believers in prayer. And we pray, Father, that as we do so, you would be answering our prayers according to your perfect will. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.